The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week, we have an audio edition of our original series, Judgment with Ashley Banfield, taking a closer look at the biggest cases from the Court TV archives. Eileen Warnos sold her body to survive and generated a rage for those who would pay for her services. That rage resulted in the deaths of seven Florida men and the labeling of Warnos as one of the very few female serial killers. Her story would eventually be told in the award-winning 2003 film, Monster. This episode features interviews with former Florida State Attorney John Tanner, psychologist Dr. Valerie McLean, and investigator Brian Jarvis. This is Judgment of Eileen Warnos. This is the Court TV Podcast. He said, you're going to do everything I tell you to do. And if you don't, I'll kill you right now. Like, just like the other sluts I've done. He just started coming at me and I shot him. I don't know where I shot him. I just shot him. And he fell on the ground. Warnos is widely considered to be America's first female serial killer. Coming from as tumultuous a childhood as you could imagine, Eileen was living on the streets by age 14, surviving by selling her body. She claims to have slept with hundreds of thousands of men during her time as a prostitute. But starting in 1989, she went on a rampage that would result in seven dead men. And she claims it was all for love. Marion County is located about an hour north of Orlando. It's a very nice country atmosphere for the most part. A lot of beautiful horse farms, huge area. I think we cover about 1,600 square miles. And the sheriff's office there was the main law enforcement entity in the county. There was a lot of things that went on before we actually came up with any kind of a, a connection or a pattern or anything, things that you wouldn't recognize right away as being connected. For example, we had recovered David Spears' vehicle in Marion County long before we had any homicides in Marion County. We had recovered Charles Karskadden's vehicle in Marion County long before we had any bodies there. So it wasn't until later on that we started becoming more involved. The first thing we had was a missing person. His name was Peter Sims, and to this day, he's missing. We've never recovered his body. And it wasn't until later that month when we lost Troy Burris and he was out driving a, a truck doing deliveries between Ocala and Daytona Beach. And somewhere along the way, he disappeared and never returned home that night. We knew that someone or someones were killing single men, taking their vehicle and leaving their bodies in the woods. And all of the victims had uh, similar circumstances. They were traveling alone on the highway and were shot multiple times with a small caliber uh, pistol. They were all middle-aged white males between 40 and 65. In each case, something was taken from the victim. The license plates from all of their cars had been removed. And 
the interior of the vehicle was wiped clean. But one thing really stood out. Every time we recovered a vehicle, the driver's side seat was in the forward most position. Now, we know from the size of our victims, that wouldn't be how they would be driving. And as we started to work through between that and the 22 caliber, it started guiding us towards looking for somebody that was either very small, maybe, maybe younger, or female. And it turned out, once we had the missing person, when Peter Sims was missing, that we got a couple of composite drawings done of the people that had been seen leaving his car, and they were two females. Surprisingly, on the first day we did a release, the fifth lead we received named Tyria Moore and her uh, aliens alias, Lee. With Eileen Warnos, um, in meeting with um, someone that is, quote, serial killer, it can be a very abrupt experience, very negative experience, and it was the opposite. She was very willing to talk with me, very open about her own life history and her ability to identify why she did what she did. Eileen Wuornos had a really rough background. This is a woman who really didn't stand a chance in life. When she was growing up, she had no family. Her father was an inmate in the state prison. He had been put in on some very serious, violent crimes. Her mother abandoned her when she was five months old. Her grandparents raised her, but they hated her. They treated her horribly. And she eventually moved out when she was 11, 12, 13 years old. She was out on her own. She was prostituting. She was living a very, very bad life. So she never had a family structure. As she grew older, she never had a good relationship. When she turned 20, she married a 76-year-old man. And I think about nine weeks into it, she beat him with his cane and he filed for a divorce. And so by the time she was a prostitute in Florida and just servicing these men that sometimes did abuse her, that treated her like an object, you know, she was in a situation where she could never get out of it. I called for a meeting with the state attorneys and I told them that I wanted to take the first trial. I assured them that I would convict her and that she'd get a death sentence. during this trial over the next several days showed that on November the 30th, 1989, Richard Mallory turned east onto I-4. He didn't know that in less than 10 hours, he'd be robbed, 
murdered, and his body to be left rotten woods. Of course, he didn't know that he was about to pick up a predatory prostitute. He didn't know that he was about to admit and meet, admitted to his car, Eileen Carol Lawrence, the woman who sits at his table. Eileen was evil personified. She determined to kill people in cold blood with no remorse, and had she not been caught, she would likely still be killing people. Ladies and gentlemen, the evidence is going to show that when Eileen Wernus jumped into the car with Richard Mallory on that rainy night in December of 1989, she had no idea that she was going to be traveling with him into a nightmare, and that that ride would ultimately bring her into this courtroom today. Eileen was represented very ably and very competently by Trish Jenkins, Billy Nolan, and Bill Miller. They were highly formidable, erudite public defenders who knew what they were doing. I think they, what do you know on a case like that? They gave Eileen an excellent defense. Existence for Lee was getting to be very dangerous. The frequency with which she met physical abuse was escalating. Time after time after time, she was raped. Time after time after time, she was beaten up and she wasn't paid. Finally, she armed herself. This shows a pattern of criminality and intent that is admissible and that should be admitted in the trial of this case. I knew who the criminal court judge was, and I believed that I could get all seven murders into the same trial. I researched it uh, in the week or two before we started picking the jury, and, and it was probably within five minutes of the time that I was asked to rule that I made my decision. How do you avoid a conviction when the jury is going to hear about six, seven possible murders against your client and she's actually confessed to all of them? There's a long road to go. My brother was a good man. He was a good brother. He was a good father. I remember him. He's the one who did that. He was going to tell me. Eileen was in no way a criminal mastermind. Yet before she was caught, her killing spree had spanned the state of Florida, and it continued for a year. Unfortunately for Eileen, the signature acts that she carried out in her killings would come back to haunt her at trial. One of the things that we found was a mistake, was that we didn't draw things together as quickly as we could have. Unfortunately, the ballistics were submitted to different labs, and it was just the way the state was set up and the, the locations that the homicides occurred, and so there was no connection right away. And it wasn't until we started working our first homicide of Troy Burris that we started connecting the dots. Ultimately, ballistics and forensics uh, revealed that it was the same weapon used in all of the homicides, and we realized we had either a single killer or maybe more than one person operating and robbing, perhaps hijacking. 
men on the highway and killing them. I am uh, Troy Burris's sister. Oh, I just loved him so much. My brother was a good man. He was a good brother. He was a good father. He was a happy person when he moved to Ocala because he could have horses and pigs and ducks and things, and uh, he was happy there. All right. There you are. His wife called, and she said, Troy has not come home yet. And I'm worried. Well, immediately, I was sick because it, it was bad, because he didn't do those things. I had put flyers up. Anybody that saw him or anything like that, because we were desperate to find him. I was afraid if something happened, because he carried money, quite a bit of it, for the company. There was a, a police officer, their sheriff's department, name was John Tilly and he started working it, and it, he was good. Can you tell us when you first uh, began an investigation surrounding the death of a Troy Burris? The first time it occurred was on July the 31st, 1990. There had been a report of a missing man identified later as Mr. Burris. They got a call from a retired policeman that lived in the forest. He said they found a man's body and it might be your brother, so just stay right here. And they had found him. And then we got the guy that, uh, you know, big sausage truck off 1940. All right. I remember, yeah, he was the one who did that. He was going to tell me. Which guy was that? The body was lying face down. It had been covered with some palm fronds. Uh, it was in an advanced stage of decomposition at the discovery. Oh, yeah, shot him. He turned around. He turned around. He was going to start running. So I shot him down the back. I was devastated. I didn't know what to do or how to do it. But I had to keep going because he was my best friend in my whole life. And I thought he would be with me for a lot of years. When you arrived at the scene, uh, can you tell the jury what you saw? Uh, they direct me to the pass back in the woods. I had walked back in the woods approximately 50 yards, and there I observed a red carpet. Upon closer examination, I observed a human hand protruding out from under the carpet. Uh, when I arrived, there was a, um, what appeared to be a small hump in the natural foliage that was covered by a maroon with a black trim rug, the type that you see in front of a business. We examined the uh, exterior of the uh, body. We noted that there were gunshot wounds on the upper part of the body. The two bullets that struck the uh, left lung caused a tremendous amount of hemorrhage, and that was the fatal mechanism. Warnos's girlfriend, her daddy was a sheriff in another state. So she got scared about all the publicity, you know, and she went up there. And he wouldn't let her just go away. So they gave her a package deal if she would help and get her to confess and all that. Uh, they would not arrest her. I said, I don't like that. So he asked me, which would you rather have? You'd rather have both of them and may get a conviction, may not, or you won't? Warnos, the one that killed your brother. 
And of course, I wanted Warnos. I'd like to ask you if you know an Eileen Carol Warnos, also known as Lee. Yes, I do. When she met Tyria Moore, she felt, this is my soulmate. This is the girl I want to spend my entire life with. I will never let her down. If they needed money, Aileen would go out and prostitute. She would take care of Tyria. She would make her feel loved. And did it come a point in time in, in your life that uh, you and she formed a relationship? Yes, we did. How long did that relationship last? About four and a half years. And could you describe the relationship uh, to us? Well, we lived as lovers. She was so determined to protect Tyria that when her attorney came in, she said, no, I, I want to talk to the police. They had a private consultation. But she said, no, I want to confess. She said she'd do anything for you, didn't she? Yes, she did. In a life filled with hate, brutality, and abuse, Eileen Warnos would only know love from one person, Tyra Moore, for whom she would literally kill and kill often. She told you that there was something that she wanted to tell you. Correct. It's really tempting to say this was Thelma and Louise. These were these two women who were, you know, fighting against, we don't know. This is one of the cases that became so fascinating because it was so easy to, to dream up these Hollywood scenarios from. We were sitting on the floor watching TV and she just come out and said, I have something to tell you. And I asked her what? And she said that she had shot and killed a man that day. My last John, all right? I killed my last John. I was raped and beat to and was going to get killed. Did she say anything else at that point? Yeah, later she was telling me that she had put the body in the woods under a piece of rug. Aileen was extremely, extremely upset when Tyria testified. She never thought she would turn on her like that, but she did. Did she tell you anything about why she shot the man? No. By looking at it, could you observe whether or not uh, she had been injured? Well, I saw no sign of injury. Did she ever indicate to you that she had been beaten and raped and robbed? No. Had you ever seen her with a gun? Yes. Did she tell you why she'd gotten the gun? She said it was for her protection. I believe that there are some charges that could have been filed against Tyria. But it was a prosecutor's decision not to do it. And, and essentially what they were looking at was this. She will be a better witness than a co-defendant. From what he did tell you, life on the road in her job was in fact dangerous. She told you that, didn't she? Yes. And she did tell you that she'd been raped and beaten, didn't she? Pre I mean, it was before I met her that she had been raped and beaten. But... She, she did tell you that she'd been raped and beaten. Yes. And she said that that had happened on more than one occasion. Correct. Based on everything I know about this case, I do think that Eileen Warno's partner probably knew more than she said. She was the one who Eileen talked to, who Eileen told her what was going on. And it makes me think that she probably knew a lot more. She loved you, didn't she? Yes. 
She said she'd do anything for you, didn't she? Yes, she did. And she said this to you on numerous occasions. Correct. And nearly a year later, you decided to leave. Correct. And that was after you had seen a composite drawing on a television. Is that true? Yes. And you thought you were a suspect. I really don't know what I thought at that time. I know I was scared. While you were in Pennsylvania, law enforcement people contacted you, didn't they? Yes, they did. When we located Tyria, she had some of the victim's property with her. And we transferred her back down. There was some sort of immunity deal worked out with the prosecutor. And she agreed to testify against Aileen. This is the first real relationship Aileen had, maybe in her entire life. And this is what played into her confessing. Okay, so then what you're telling us is you're voluntarily coming forward to talk to us now. Yeah, let you know that I'm the one that did the killing. And she's really, really a good person, honest person, working person. And she doesn't do anything wrong. I said to myself, I think this guy is going to kill me. When I grabbed my bag and whipped my pistol out toward him. It is very rare in a murder trial that a defendant takes the stand in his or her own defense. The theory being that they already have the presumption of innocence, so testifying just carries more risk than reward. Nonetheless, Eileen Warnos insisted on personally rehashing for the jury the night she shot and killed Richard Mallory. When she walked in, my heart just stopped. Please state your full name for the record. Eileen Warnos. I was very angry, of course, but I knew that I had to behave myself. How old are you? 35. Uh, where are you from? Troy, Michigan. When did you leave home or come to Florida? Uh, around 14 years old. Okay. Why did you come to Florida? Because when I was younger and I was living out in the streets, I was sleeping in the snow and all. It was too cold. Eileen was very compelling. She was very riveting. You'd seen her depicted so many times in pop culture. To, to sit down and meet with her was sort of a, wow, this is there was a surreal aspect to it. Describe your trip with Mr. Mallory from the time he picked you up until, let's say, for Orlando. So when he picked me up, he asked me, you know, where I was going to tell him Daytona. I was real glad and everything. I said, I'm, I'm, a hus I'm a hooker. I hustle for a living. And he said, hustle? You mean a sex? And I said, yeah, this is a sex. So then he um, 
He said, well, God, I thought I was going to, we were going to get it on. I mean, eventually get it on together, but you don't do it free. You probably, you, you do it for money, right? I said, that's right, I do it for money. Then he asked me how much I charged, and I said, 100 an hour. Something had to trigger all of this. Something had to be the straw that broke the camel's back. And there is talk that maybe it was Mallory. Maybe the way he treated her was the thing that pushed her over the edge and made her into, frankly, a serial killer. Richard Mallory liked to party. And what happened with him is on the weekends, he liked to go to Daytona Beach. So he closed up his shop one evening, headed over to Daytona, and it was on the way to Daytona that he ran into Aileen, who had been hitchhiking at the time. And he said, what if I told you I don't have enough money? And I said, Richard, I said, no way. I said, I'm not here for my health. I said, we made an agreement. I'm sorry, but I guess we're going to have to just call this off. I was going to turn to look at him, and before I even got a chance to turn and look at him, he whipped a cord around my neck and pulled me toward him. He said... You're going to do everything I tell you to do. And if you don't, I'll kill you right now. And I'll f you after, just like the other sluts I've done. He was choking me, and I was holding it like this. And he said, do you want to die, slut? And I just nodded no. And he told me to lay down on this car seat. And I had to lift up my hands like this, and he tied my hands, and he tied me to the steering wheel. He began to start having... Uh, okay. And he's doing this very violent manner. And I said to myself, I think this guy is going to kill me. He's going to get rid of me. Or he's, I don't know what he's going to do, dissect me or something. I don't know what he's got in this bag. Like, he's strange. He is totally weird. Richard Mallory was a convicted sex offender. He ended up getting killed. And he may have been uh, violent with her. And she reacted defending herself. Now, if that's the case, when she wanted to kill again, she would find somebody who reminded her of Richard Mallory. Because keep in mind, the victims were all relatively similar in many respects. I jumped up real fast, and I spit in his face. And he said, you're a dead bitch, you're dead. And he's wiping his eyes. And I laid down real quick and grabbed my bag. And he was starting to come for, for me when I grabbed my bag and threw, whipped my pistol out toward him. And he was coming toward me with his right arm, I believe. And I shot immediately. And I think I shot twice, as fast as I could. And then what'd you do? And he started coming at me again, and I shot. He stopped. I hurried, kind of pushed him away from me. And he kind of sat up on the driver's seat. I hurried, opened the passenger door, ran around the driver's side, opened the door real fast, looked at him, and he started to come out. And I said, don't come out. Don't come near me. I'll shoot. I'll have to shoot you again or something like that. He just started coming at me, and I shot. And I don't know where I shot him. I just shot him. And he fell on the ground. She 
She doesn't want to say it's self-defense because I believe she is involved with a lot, millions of dollars, books and movies. To give you some idea of just how alone in the world Eileen Warnos was, she would be the only witness called by the defense in the trial for her life. And that was the easy part. Now she'd face cross-examination and be forced to defend her killing of Richard Mallory. After she killed Richard Mallory, Aileen went into a hiatus for six months. She didn't kill for six months after that. She was deathly afraid she was gonna get caught. You notice also that on, on the people that were killed, the second through the last victim, they were a little different. With Richard Mallory, she only shot him four times. And she took a camera and she took a radar detector, both of which she pawned. With the other victims though, she increased her rage. So with David Spears, she shot him six times. Then very shortly after, she shot Charles Corscadden nine times. So now that rage is increasing. The time in between the killings is decreasing. And what she did at this point was she would take cash. She would take items she could pawn but she would also start taking trophies and souvenirs. Their families must realize that no matter how much they love the people that died, no matter how much they love them, they were bad because they were gonna hurt. When we arrested her, she had a little briefcase and we interviewed the people in the bar and they said that she always had that with her and she was very protective of it and she put it in a certain spot. So. We got a search warrant for this, the uh, briefcase. We opened it up. There was a roll of paper towels. There was a bottle of Windex. And there was a receipt for one of those mini warehouses that you can store your stuff at. So we got a search warrant for that mini warehouse. And we went and we searched it. We found property from six of the seven victims all together there. How did you know who I was in that bar? We saw some stuff, radar detector and camera. Ah, yeah. Did you tell Detective Porzeppa at any time that you were strangled with a cord by Mr. Mallory? Well, every time I tried to start telling you or him about what was happening, he'd interrupt me and ask me how, time, how many times was this person shot? Um, what kind of items did you take? Did he say anything after he was, when you shot him? Where did you leave his car? I never got a chance to ever s express myself. Well, I was I... always interrupted. Then he started to get out of the car. And I ran around to the front of the car. He started coming toward me. And I thought to you, I interrupt for just a second. You, you said that there were six guys. Do you remember which six they were? I don't even know their names. Which cars were they? There was no way that I could have even Remember, I was hysterical, under a shock, and they had forced me to talk, saying they're going to arrest Tyra Moore if I don't ask, answer their questions on the case, which I didn't want. I was only there to confess about Tyra's innocence because I just got done talking to her on the phone and told her I was going to confess to clear her. I can't promise that I can. I mean, like I said, honestly, honestly, if you open up your mouth, 
they're going to think that we're the people, and then we're not. So when you tell them I'm a hooker, it's, it's going to sound like it. Ew. So why don't you just, you know, you know, forget it? You just don't say that. You know I'm not a very good liar. The police had her set up so they could record your telephone calls, didn't they? Yeah, they had me set up so that I talked to her mm -hmm, about, and her trying to ask me to clear her when Tyra Moore knows more than she's even talking about. I only cleared her because I loved her. What is it that Tyra Moore knows that she's not talking about? She knows that it's self-defense, and she is not telling anybody anything. She's not saying anything because she's involved in... This books and movies. These people that are involved in books and movies have to have my blood in order to get the money. Well. So they're willing to lie. Are, are, you, are you saying it would, I'm asking you about jeopardizing Tyra Moore. You said it would jeopardize Tyra Moore if she told a self-defense story. How would that jeopardize her? That was your word. No, I'm talking about, she doesn't want to say it's self-defense because... I believe she is involved with a lot, millions of dollars, books and movies, and she doesn't want my acquittal because if I get convicted, she gets multi-millions. So does Mr. Horson Paw, uh, whatever his name is, Munster, and a lot of you other detectives and police officers that are involved in this. I felt Eileen and part of her representation got taken over by people who were more interested in monetizing her and commercializing the value of her story. You had his car washed, you get rid of any evidence that might be on it. I had the car washed to make sure my fingerprints weren't in that car because I was scared out of my mind about what I had just done. And you pawned his radar detector, his I was camera. a prostitute. Yes, I did that for food as I laid low. Eileen Warnos was obviously acting when she got on the witness stand. She was really dramatic and animated, and she believed she was in the performance of her life and that she was doing well. How do you feel, Eileen? Are you afraid, Eileen? You must remember that Tyra Moore had known for over a year that Lee Warnus had shot Richard Mallory. And she didn't leave, and she didn't call the police. And you have to ask yourselves, what does that tell you? Either Lee was telling you the truth. Tyra Moore really did know he was in self-defense. Or Tyra Moore just didn't care about it. And Lee Warnus will do what Tyra Moore wants because Lee Warnus loves Tyra Moore. Lee Warnus would do anything for Tyra Moore. Lee Warnus would die. Colleen Warnos has, has been portrayed as a victim by the defense. She's not a victim in any sense of the word. She's not a victim because she's a prostitute. She has chosen to be a prostitute. She was a woman, and I think this sort of contributed to a little bit of underlying misogyny in the culture, which was is still present today, but even thicker back in the 1990s. She'll make a lot of money by lying about this self-defense thing. Well, that's just not true, is it? Wouldn't it be a much more interesting story and a much more sellable story if this poor, pitiful prostitute simply doing her job and some guy did some horrible things to her, she killed him in self-defense. Now, that's a good story. We 
tried all seven of those murder cases at one time. And that was devastating for her defense of self-defense. The jury might have bought that, but seven times? That was not believable, and, and I knew that if we could get all seven of those cases in there, we would get a death penalty. Warnos knows that her life is literally on the line. But at this point, all she can do is watch as the jury decides her fate. In the circuit court, 7th Judicial Circuit in and for Volusia County, Florida, State of Florida versus Eileen Carol Warnos, case number 91257. Count one, verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant, Eileen Carol Warnos, guilty of first-degree premeditated murder and first-degree felony murder of Richard Mallory, as charged in count one of the indictment. As to count two, we, the jury, find the defendant, Eileen Carol Warnos, guilty of armed robbery of Richard Mallory with a firearm, as charged in the indictment. So say we all. Your house is I was raped. I hope you get raped. Scumbag, fucking America. Eileen, how do you feel about the verdict? You mean to say? I'm innocent. And I was raped. And I was tortured. And I had, they had a steering wheel. A kitchen steering wheel. And it had scratches all over it. It's broken. It's proof that I was tied that steering wheel. And I cannot believe. I cannot believe it. Why did this jury find you guilty? I think it's media. As quick as this jury came back, do you anticipate then that, in fact, your your uh, hopes of getting a death penalty conviction will also come as quickly and come in fact? Well, certainly the, the verdict and the time in which it was delivered is encouraging, but uh, there's a great deal of evidence to be presented on both sides, and... Uh, I'd rather predict after the jury renders their verdict. Clinicians seeing the type of behavior that Lee Warnos exhibits, some clinicians would characterize her as schizophrenic, right? The most common categories given to those individuals now called borderlines would be schizoid personality disorder, paranoid personality disorder, or schizophrenic. And those types of people traditionally have been hospitalized, have they not? Many. And right now we were talking about Lee being on the border of mental retardation, right? In that verbal, uh, the verbal areas. And she's sitting here laughing while you're talking about that. Apparently. Is that consistent with a borderline personality disorder? Yes. I felt she had some profound uh, mental aspects to her that I characterized differently in the state attorney. I would say she was psychotic. The state attorney says, oh, no, no, she's just antisocial, <laughs> which is like Bailey could say about everybody. She was diagnosed as antisocial personality disorder and uh, borderline personality disorder, which, which devalues uh, other human beings. I think she finally reached the point that she, she wanted the money and was tired of doing what she'd been doing, and so she was going to punish them for her life. From what I learned through the investigation, Richard Mallory had picked her up 
as a hitchhiker. They drank together, they partied together, but the other men were not the same as Richard Mallory. And unfortunately, to this day, there are a lot of people that believe that all of these men were Johns. They were picking her up for prostitution, and it just wasn't the case. We have Mr. Humphreys, who was driving. He stops to get a drink at a truck stop along I-75, and he gets literally abducted. The forensic evidence showed us this because there was a bruise on his right side from the barrel of a gun. He's not picking her up for prostitution. He's not picking her up as a hitchhiker. He's getting abducted. So that's the difference, and that's what we see with most of the other victims. As to count one, majority of the jury, by a vote of 12 to nothing, advise and recommend to the court that it impose the death penalty upon Eileen Carol Warner, stated at Deland, Volusia County, Florida, this 30th day of January, 1992. Have you ever had a 12-0 jury ver verdict for death? Not that I can recall. Have you, have you ever not followed the jury's recommendation? Never. Never. What would... Nor have I gone outside of it. I've always done what they told me. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it this time. First of all, I'd like to say that I have been labeled a serial killer, and I am no serial killer. I've been framed by the law enforcement as a serial killer because of numerous <clears throat> men involved. But what I was was a prostitute. And in my prostitution, I happened to deal with a lot of men, at least 200, 250 men a month. And I ran into these men along the way in my prostitution. I do not feel I was not out there to hurt anyone. I didn't, had no intentions of hurting anyone. And I had no intentions of killing anyone. I would not do that. Not, I'm not that type of person. I was surprised that my lawyers had me just testify on the stand and then said, defense rest this case because I did not know this was going to happen. For me to testify for myself, it seemed like I just, I had got a total wrong, wrong deal. It is the sense of the law and the judge of this court that you, Eileen Carroll, warn us be electrocuted until you are dead. When we were appointed to Eileen, bear in mind, she was in what we call a post-conviction phase. In other words, her direct appeals had all been exhausted. We had argued that Eileen, particularly, I think, in the Marion County cases, when a, a certain attorney came in and took over representation of her, there was just little attention done to the proper, diligent, and thorough representation of Eileen, and more attention to how can we commercialize this and sort of make names for ourselves off it. And towards the end, Eileen became what we call a volunteer. She waived all her appeals. I guess she had recognized the futility in, in it and had become just saturated with despair and just simply wanted to go on to her whatever she was awaiting on the other side. I was retained on Eileen Warnos by the defense team to evaluate her for capacity or competency to waive her appeals. She had a very good sense of her actions a sense of remorse about her actions, a sense of wanting to get things done and over with. She had felt like she'd come to peace uh, spiritually with things and just wanted things to be done. How do you feel? I'm satisfied. I'm going to be with the Lord soon. And I know it because I spoke the truth. With the crimes that she committed, and there's no way the family members are going to get their, their loved ones back. 
but I think this is a little bit of closure. Maybe I'm more in favor of the death penalty than some people, but I think there are certain things that need to be addressed. I don't feel that a just and civilized society would execute someone like Eileen Warnos. I don't think a just and civilized society would execute anybody. You know, I went to see her when she was put to death. She says, I will be back. Well, I'll leave out a word or two, but I said, no, bitch, you won't be back. The jury deliberated for just one hour and 48 minutes before handing down that death sentence recommendation for Eileen Warnos. Less than three months later, she pleaded no contest to the murders of Dick Humphreys, Troy Burris, and David Spears, saying that she, quote, wanted to get right with God. She was given three more death sentences, and the last day on death row, her final words were these, and I quote, Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, like the movie, big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. And with that, Eileen Warnos was executed. I'm Ashley Banfield. Thanks for joining us. There you have it. Another deep dive into the many high profile trials covered by Court TV. If you want to see Eileen Warnos's full trial, you can stream it for free on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And to keep up with the biggest current true crime stories, tune into my show, Closing Arguments, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.